Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Recorded live from the lobby of the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C., Listening to the tidbit brought to you by Curate. We are live at the Line Hotel in Washington, D.C., and I'm your host and the CEO of Curate, Kim Bryden. Do you run a small business or have dreams to start one? Well, here at the tidbit, we've got your back. Each week, we talk through tidbits of knowledge around starting or running a small business with a food and beverage lens. So each year, Larry Fink, who's the CEO of BlackRock, issues a letter to the most prominent CEOs. Why does this matter? Who is this man? And why does this man matter? Let me read to you the opening of this New York Times piece. The headline reads, World's biggest investor tells CEO's purpose is the animating force for profits. A year after his annual letter to chief executives urged them to run their companies with social good in mind, the BlackRock chief, Larry Fink, said they must step into a leadership vacuum. This statement was made in relation to last year's letter, 2019. So this year, the world of multi-billionaires has been shaken again by Mr. Fink. A quartz headline reads, A $7 trillion Wall Street powerhouse is finally matching its climate change rhetoric with action. What is happening? The Wall Street powerhouse is talking about purpose in business, climate change in business. What does this mean? What is this topsy-turvy world we're living in? I'm going to read you a snippet of this letter that he wrote, but I encourage you to look up this man in the article surrounding this statement as well. Here it goes. Climate change has become a defining factor in companies' long-term prospects. Last September, when millions of people took to the streets to demand action on climate change, many of them emphasized the significant and lasting impact it would have on economic growth and prosperity, a risk that the markets to date have been slower to reflect. But awareness is rapidly changing, and I believe we're on the edge of a fundamental reshaping of finance. The evidence on climate risk is compelling investors to reassess core assumptions about modern finance. Research from a wide range of organizations, including the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the BlackRock Investment Institute, and many others, including new studies from McKinsey, is deepening our understanding of how climate risk will impact both our physical world and our global system that finances economic growth. I mean, I'll be the first to say... No, duh, Larry. (laughs) But what does this mean for our multinational businesses? What are they doing to step up to this challenge presented by Mr. Fink? I highly recommend listening to The Daily Episode, which is a podcast produced by The New York Times titled, Can Corporations Stop Climate Change? It is a great listen. um, And if this sounds intriguing to you, again, I really encourage you to download it and And let me know your thoughts. I'd be so interested to hear your perspective. Um, But I am really super interested in how, with global migration and pandemics knocking at our doorsteps, how are we thinking about our supply chains? Who are they benefiting? 
how are they contributing to the health of our planet and not extracting from it? And how have we, uh, how can we rather have more direct relationships with the food we're consuming to know the true impact of how it's grown in a healthy and transparent way? And this is why we are sitting down today to talk with Sorella Harada, the founder of Simply. She focuses on ethical sourcing to create a vertically integrated supply chain from working directly with the international farming communities to the distribution of products to market. And prior to Simply, Sorella spent five years at Kava, where she led supply chain strategy and execution, which included the National Food Service distribution for 350 plus restaurants under two brand categories purchasing over $150 million spend and 300-plus unique SKUs in various categories. An incredible woman, and I am so pleased she is with us in studio today. So let's take a quick break and be right back with her. You're listening to The Tidbit. I'm your host and the CEO of Curate Kim Bryden, and we are here with Sorella Harada, founder of Simply, a company committed to ethical sourcing for a better food world. Welcome, Sorella. Thank you for having me, Kim. I am so, so happy you're here. And I just want to know more about your origin story. I feel like our listeners really need to know you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, here I am and happy to share how everything started. So. Yes, please. I'm originally from Peru. I was born and raised in Lima until I was 14 years old. And at a young age, I was able to really see uh, through my mom and dad the infrastructure and the need of a more transparent supply chain. My mom ran a chicken farm Ooh. in the outsides of Lima. And my dad has farms in the Amazons for a fruit called Camu Camu, which is similar Ooh. to a berry, really high in antioxidants and 60 times more vitamin C than an orange. It's a superfood that it really hasn't really hit the market yet. So would you make it akin to like acai? Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. So it's something that you can find, you know, in powder in the market today in the U.S. and Whole Foods, Trader Joe's use as more as a complement in vitamins is use the extract mm-hmm. for vitamin C. So uh, being close to the agriculture and to the farming of these fruits and seeing it directly impacting my family and the roadblocks there really is to enter a product into the market for export for just knowledge of the public to understand how a superfood can really be so strong and can really help you battle some of these diseases that are out there. It has Mm -hmm. high concentrations in antioxidants, as I mentioned, vitamin C, and it's something that is slowly entering the market. But back 10, 15 years ago, it wasn't like that. Right. And it was, as an agriculture, uh, being on the other side through my dad, we saw the roadblocks in how difficult it was to be, um, to have access to a market. So this... Uh, inspiration from your family led you down this path of supply chain. I mean, I mentioned that you worked at Kava, but before that you were at Mayorga Organics and worked for some major companies. So what happened next? You had this passion. How'd you get into supply chain? Yeah, absolutely. So I had the privilege to 
um, studied industrial engineering here at Penn State in the U.S. And wow. then from there, um, I did a, a few internships with GE and Kraft to just really understand the corporate world and the manufacturing of food. Mm-hmm. I was at the plant where we made Crystal Light outside of Boston. Oh, wow. So, yeah, gelatin for, for marshmallows as well. So really understood what food, um, mass food manufacturing was um, after that. I didn't really know what industry I wanted to, to tackle, so I went into consulting, supply chain consulting specifically for a couple of years, where I really uh, took a deep dive into the complexity of global supply chains. Um, I supported Nike for a few years, mm. the expansion of Nike in Canada, omnichannel logistics distribution specifically. And, um, and then my second client was UNFI. UNFI mm. is the national distributor for US for Whole Foods, and that's where my passion for food and logistics kind of grew more from that basis of if my hometown. If someone doesn't know what UNFI is, I believe it's United. Yeah. I forget what the acronym is, but it's Natural Foods. Yes, it's a natural food distributor for Whole Foods. Uh-huh. So it's where the the warehousing for the consolidation of all the uh, all the local brands and, and national f- natural food products. Yeah, natural food products, organic, non-GMOs. Mm-hmm. Um, what you will find on the shelves of an organic natural grocery grocery stores. Yep. Yeah, that's okay, right. Great. Yeah. And so then after UNFI, you left the consulting world and then went direct into a company. Yeah. After that, um, I had the pleasure to work on my Yorga Organics with Marma Yorga, where I really saw his passion and his vision for really combating um, the the infrastructure that happens in Latin America today, mm-hmm. where there's so much unfairness to the agriculture, and, and that just really aligned with my personal ethos and values, where um, specifically with my yoga at that time, doing coffee, and we all know the unfairness that could happen on that market. So he was doing a really great cause and just really focusing on, on combating that through his product and through his retail brand and um, with some major retailers as well. So yeah. I supported some of his operations and systems as well. I feel like this is a perfect segue to talk about Simply, yeah. which you are the founder of today, because this notion of being hyper-transparent and connected to how your food is grown seems like a core value proposition of what you're doing at Simply. So tell us more. And also, why do you feel that it's so important to build sustainable supply chains with the raw ingredients that we're consuming from small businesses that are either local or global? So what is Simply? And then why do we care? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So Simply is a business to business. We work behind the scenes to power brands that you will find in your um, grocery stores and your retail and your retail outlets, but we work directly with international farming communities, mm-hmm. and we do everything in between to create market for those products. And in order to have a social impact back in the communities, and do it in an ethical and sustainable way as well. So today, I just got back from Peru. My, uh, my yeah, thank you. <laughs> my um, my country where I was born and raised, and I was in the Andes, spending a couple of weeks working with the communities up in. For about 15,000 feet up um, outside of the Lake Titicaca, which is the highest lake in the world. And our communities in Puno is as artisanal and rural as, as you would think the Andes and, and the women working that the fields are. And we're working on a great project with a community of Taraco where we are consolidating and we're the local co-op to these, to these families, working with 250 families today to bring a quinoa product that is, Ooh. by its nature, organic. 
is free of pesticides, is free of glyphosate. It doesn't have any trace of um, any of those chemicals that the people usually put in the ground in the soil. So mm -hmm. it's as sustainable as, as you can think. We're really fighting that carbon footprint and the climate change that is really affecting the indigenous people of Peru. Yeah. So we're. It's like I was just referencing that even the CEO of this trillion dollar Wall Street fund is urging people to start thinking about, I, I would hope, what are regenerative farming practices? How are That's we not right. extracting from the earth, but instead adding back to it? But keep going. I'm so interested yes. about this Andean community. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. You know, it's, it's all about in, in the Inca empire and the Inca methodology, we have one of the goddess is Pachamama. Ah. And Pachamama means Mother Earth, right? Mm. So it's all about treating the soil and treating the earth the way that we're here for a for a distinct period of time, right? But the earth stays and it's a matter and we got to treat it with that, with that respect. And that's the mindset of these indigenous communities that we're working at. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't want to put pesticides on their, on their, on their product. But back in 2006 or 2008, when the quinoa boom and everyone in the Western world wanted to have quinoa in their menu, the supply couldn't keep up with the demand, mm -hmm. right? In the US or Europe. So what happened was a lot of, international companies came to these Andes communities in Peru and Bolivia and just destroyed the land, put a lot of pesticides for four or five wow. years, take the highest yield, and then left it all behind. So Destroyed the soil. Ex absolutely. Massive monocropping, I imagine. Absolutely. So we're trying to do this for a sustainable way. Quinoa supply has is in somewhat is steady and growing at a steady rate. So we're trying to work with communities that could really keep up with that demand and being able to be that voice for them in the market in the U.S. So mm -hmm. we do everything in between. So we're their local co-op, so we give them the money on cash right up front for their product. We process it. We're the export on record. We're the import on record. And we're, we're distributing to national food distributors in the U.S. Wow. I feel both empowered, overwhelmed, excited, every emotion. Yeah. But it's not just quinoa. You have... Two other products? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. From Peru, we're bringing quinoa, um, all you know, white, red, tricolor, chia seeds as well. Oh, chia seeds. Chia seeds, so yeah, so good for yesai <laughs> bowls. <laughs> and uh, we've also have taken this business model and applying it to Greece, where we're bringing extra virgin olive oil and Kalamata olives as well. Ooh. And working out of the Sparta region, the Kalamata region of, um, of Greece, and we're really excited to bring this product to market as well. Uh delicious. Yes. I guess I'm wondering before we jump into another break, but I'm wondering why do you feel more people should be paying attention to their supply chain and asking the questions about the sustainability of their supply That's right. chain? That's right. I think it just really comes down to doing the right thing. So it's doing the right thing for the environment, right? For that Pachamama, for Mother Earth. Oh, for Pachamama. That's right. Doing the right thing for the uh, the long stay on not only us or our families of the earth, of just giving giving that back to the earth is giving us so much to be here. And second, doing the right thing for your body, oh, for, yeah. for what you're putting in, right? Anything, all those pesticides and all those things, all the chemicals that are out there, there has to be somewhat of an effect on your body. So I if believe you can, it. If you can just take that out of your diet and just really focus on things that are natural and things that are grown as they're supposed to grow in the climate they're supposed to grow and the soil they're supposed to grow, then that, those are the food products that you should consume and should be part of your diet and you're doing the right thing for your, uh, for your health. Absolutely. Uh, 
Beautiful. Okay, let's take another micro break here and come back with Cyril on tips on how we can actually do this. Listening to the tidbit. I'm Kim Bryden, your host and the CEO of Curate, and we are here with Sorella Harada, supply chain expert and founder of Simply. So we were just talking about how individuals should care about where their food is coming from and what good it is for them. But what if they don't think about it? Like, what are the consequences? I guess specifically for a business owner, because you are a B two B business. Yeah. And and when you're talking to a potential client customer if you're saying this is the consequence if you don't think about this what what could happen yeah absolutely so at first i would start with uniqueness on your product to the market right so by owning a honest transparent sustainable supply chain you're gonna elevate your product in a way that your competition sometimes cannot keep up right that could be your trademark that could be your secret for your product that you're going after. And in, we're in a very competitive world, specifically in the food and beverage sector. That's true. Where there's, you know, there's probably, you know, 50 brands of teas and then you go in the beverage section and there's hundreds of different beverage options. So Think of the end cap for chocolate. That's right. You know, it's just any sort of differentiation you can provide. What jumps you off the shelf? That's right. Mm-hmm. And chocolate is a great example. You know, it's diving in into that cacao supply chain, mm-hmm. diving in as deep and just asking questions you have no idea how far you will get into the origin of the food until you start asking questions on how is the process where is it coming from who is handling it when is it shipped all those different things all the details of just the handling of the product will get you to really understanding your supply chain so uniqueness of the product i think is a great great differentiator in the market second i would say your cost once you have a good handle of your product and where it comes from and who has the hands on that product, you can really manage your cost a lot more than you think, right? Mm. You can know, um, if you know what the cost is at the origin versus what you're paying here or where your manufacturing facility is, I bet it's probably two or three times more. Mm. And you're paying that to all the people that are handling it, that are moving cases here and there. So you might have an opportunity to cut some costs if you really understand the origin and then the logistics of of that product. I wonder if this is where you might be going next. But again, top of the show is saying with global migration and pandemics, I mean, I think top of mind for everyone right now is just how products and people are moving around this world. I wonder if another potential consequence of not paying attention to your supply chain is also where can fraud be, and enter into the equation and things that are not what they say they are of Absolutely. that product. Yeah, and that's the, that's the main thing that we fight at Simply, and we want to have a product of integrity, that there is so much fruit fraud happening every day. Mm. It says that 60%, 62% of the seafood consumed in the U.S. is fraudulent. Oh, my gosh. What so, would that mean? <laughs> mislabeling uh-huh. or a completely different fish or the nutritional information can be mistaking the country of origin, could be completely wrong. Oh. It happens all the time in Asia where they're moving product from Thailand to Taiwan just to change some of the regulations for import into the U.S. So there is uh, food fragile, fragile activity, and I can speak on behalf of the countries that I'm working on today from Greece and Peru. It happens. I've seen it. I've been asked 
to buy fake or organic certifications. I've been asked to buy a product with pesticide and just pass it on as something else. It happens. So if you do not know, and, and sometimes the exporter might not even know. Right. Sometimes the, ex, the importer might not even know. It's done so far back at the origin of that agricultural practice right. that as when, when it gets here to the market, you might not even know. Exactly. Um, so it's just asking the right questions. Who is involved? Where is it happening? Where is it processed? You sometimes don't, don't, might not have the capability to get all the, all the way to the bottom and have that direct trade. And that's okay. But you do need to, you are responsible to know how ask it happens. Ask the questions. Ask yeah. the questions because that is your brand. That is your product that you're, you're selling on the shelves. Mm-hmm. So definitely um, uniqueness, cost. And the ability of that traceability, right, yeah. for food fraud and recall. Because if there were to be a recall, if something were to happen and recalls, you know, there's different types. E. coli outbreaks and lettuce. Yes. Whatever it might be. It happens. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes you, all you can do is just mitigate the risk mm-hmm. of your food product. But sometimes it could happen. And all you have to do is just be prepared on how you can respond to that outbreak. Yeah, absolutely. So for businesses who maybe have one to three employees, very, very early stage. You know, it's a tight budget, but they're growing and they really do buy into this idea of having a unique value proposition through their supply chain. What what would you say is an achievable way to start piecing apart what they're creating? If they are not a farmer themselves and they're the one producing the raw product, what can someone do who is super small just starting? What could they do to emphasize these values that you're that you're talking to us about yeah absolutely i think the first step, and as i said it first step is just ask right Mm -hmm. so if you are a let's say you're a retailer and you have a brand that is selling to whole foods right and you're in your local whole foods and you might not um know where your flour comes from you might know where your oil comes from but you as a brand retailer owner you have the responsibility to know. Because mm-hmm. if something were to happen, that's the product you're selling to the consumers, right? To the end consumer. So start by asking questions to your manufacturers. Mm. And then that's when you're going to start finding out, is your manufacturer doing their due diligence themselves? Right. Right? Because if you're a flower manufacturer, you have to get that grain somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Are they, what is their vendor supplier program asking to onboard new raw ingredients yes. for that grain? And then let's take it one step farther. So if once you find out where that grain comes from, ask them about if any, any agricultural manufacturer, distributor that is proud of their work, they're going to be so happy to share their so story happy. and to share their practices and share their values. So start by asking and just do, I would suggest just do it a map, mm-hmm. right? And just write it down and try to figure it out where all these steps are coming from. And then take it one step deeper Mm-hmm. And start asking about cost. Uh-huh. Because anyone that is doing the honest practice will be able to tell you, hey, I buy it for a dollar, but I sell it to you a dollar fifty because I lose 20% on yield and packaging and so on. And this is where the cost, and then I make 20% on that. Right. Anyone that is able to share that with you has an honest practice, mm-hmm. and they are going to see that just you're curious because you want to learn more about your own product that you're selling. Absolutely. And any person who goes into a deeper relationship, direct sourcing from someone, um, I find that in maintaining that relationship, you're able to grow together over time. And so knowing that person's business operations is only going to help your business operations because now you have equal stake and hopefully 
again, if you're growing up your cupcake business and now you know the flower maker, again, just going on the flower train. (laughs) If they, if you're growing your cupcake business and now they can no longer supply you that flower because you didn't understand their goals and aspirations for their business, that's going to hinder potentially what was once your unique value proposition. And so just asking those questions, I love that. Definitely. Of what is that person's intention for growing their business and how they're making money? Not out of something malicious, but right. honestly to say like, can we be in partnership with each other? That's right. You're paying for a product, you're paying for a service and they, you know, it, it comes down to business mm-hmm. and to alignment and values and ethos and I haven't had, you know, in my years of experience working supply chain and with vendors, once you start asking those questions and the ones that answer and are proud and share all the information are the ones that are probably going to be aligned to your business vision and the ones that, are, that don't is because they're hiding something. Yeah. And that's a red flag. Right. Ooh, good, like, metaphor for life. It's yeah, like, that's right. Be open. I think Brene Brown said this in her latest book, Dare to Lead. Not I think I know this for, cer- for certain. And that is... Clear is kind. Unclear is unkind. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. It's a great reference. Yeah. Yeah. I just apply it to all things in life. That's right. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So how can people find you, find out about Simply, just engage with you going forward? Yeah, absolutely. You can follow us via Instagram at our handle, simplygood, at simplygood, S-I-M-P-L-I, good. Um, You can also find us on our website. Please send us a note at simplygood.co. Amazing. Thank you for being here. Um, Guys, if you didn't know this already, I'm going to tell you again, but the tidbit is actually derived from a biweekly newsletter that we send out at Curate. And in it, we discuss what we're reading, eating, drinking, listening to, and learning. Five quick morsels of information to get you in the know and on top of your game. So head over to curate.co, C-U-R-E-A-T-E.co to sign up. And we would love if more budding entrepreneurs and listeners like you could find out about the tidbit. Our mission at Curate has always included education and access to resources. And the best way to reach more folks like you is to leave a review in iTunes. It is a goal of mine to hit 20 reviews this year, 20 in 2020. So can you help me get there? I would really appreciate it. Um, And until next time, everyone, and this certainly rings true today. Remember to scale thoughtfully and source locally.